Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Well, we have been in a series through the Gospel of John, and that's where we're spending most of our time uh, this year in 2017. Uh, And so we're just kind of walking through the Gospel to see what it has to say to us today. Uh, We are in uh, John chapter 5. I want to read the first 18 verses. I invite you to follow along with me uh, in your uh, own Bible, perhaps in an electronic device, or it'll also be up on the screen as well. Um, But... um, Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning and uh, just give our full attention to what God might want to say to us today. So John chapter 5, the first 18 verses says this. Now sometime later, uh, Jesus went up to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now here a great number of disabled people used to lie. Uh, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And one who was there had been uh, an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked the man, uh, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no uh, one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. And so while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Uh, Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once, uh, the man, uh, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Now the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. Uh, but he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? Uh, the, man who was healed, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Now later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, uh, See, you are well again, so stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went on and told the Jewish leaders then that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, uh, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Now in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always uh, at his work, even to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but now he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. I'll say a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word that reveals to us uh, the person of Jesus, the character of God. And I pray, God, today that as we give our full attention uh, to your word, that you would uh, open our hearts, that you would illuminate our minds, not just for wisdom and understanding, but for the application of your word uh, to our lives. And Lord, uh, help me to speak well. And I pray, God, that you would translate my words into precisely uh, what each person needs to hear, uh, which is to say, God, we want your Holy Spirit to be freely at work in this place Uh, challenge us today, encourage us. And then, God, as a result of gathering together, may we be shaped more and more into your likeness. God, we love you, we give you thanks, and we give you praise. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In our passage today, Jesus is at it again. 
He's getting into all kinds of trouble with religious leaders. And in fact, this passage then is similar to so many others where Jesus finds himself in a pickle. Uh, The scene this time is the pool of Bethesda. It's a famous pool that is located in the northeastern part of Jerusalem, uh, right near the Sheep Gate. Uh, It's famous because it supposedly has uh, miraculous healing properties. Now, these miraculous healing properties of the pool do have some conditions, of course. And so this pool only had miraculous properties if you uh, were the first to get into the water just as it was uh, started to boil or, as the scripture says, it was stirred. There's a lot of ideas about what precisely this means, but one of the ideas is that there was some sort of, there was a natural phenomenon uh, where the water would bubble or boil several times a day. And uh, the legend was, if once the water started to bubble or to boil, if you uh, were in need of healing, if you could get into the pool first, then there was a good chance uh, that you would then be healed. And so on this day, as with most days, there was a crowd gathered around the pool. Uh, But on this particular day, Jesus is also there. And he sees a man who has been disabled for 38 years. Now, we're not told the nature of his disability. Uh, We really know very little about the man. He's not even given a name. Uh, But Jesus asks the man, do you want to get well? To us, that may seem like a rather obvious question, right? Well, of course, of course. (laughs) 38 years I have been like this. How could I not want to get well? But instead uh, instead of answering the question with, well, yes, of course, The man goes on to then explains, uh, well, I've been here uh, for many, many years, and I'm always trying to get to the pool first, Uh, but what is understood is that because of his disability, uh, he's not able to get there uh, without any help, and so he says, I can't get there on my own, I have no one to help me into the water first, and so here I remain uh, disabled and unable to be healed. And so he says, I've been trying to get to the pool first, time after time, day after day, year after year. Well, then Jesus tells the man, well, then get up. Pick up your mat. Go ahead. Walk. And so the man does just that. He picks up his mat and he walks away. Just like that, there was no need for this miracle water, no need for a a dip in the miraculous pool, just simply the words of Jesus, get up, carry your mat, and be on. And then John tells us, the writer of this gospel, uh, who again doesn't do anything on accident, provides no frivolous details in his writing, uh, he tells us that this incident takes place on the Sabbath. And actually, as we go on to read the passage, what we learn is that this is actually the source of the trouble. Uh, that if this hadn't taken place on the Sabbath, there would have been no trouble at all in the text or in the passage. But the fact that this took place on the Sabbath, this is the source of the trouble that Jesus is in. In fact, the flow of the passage or the way the passage reads really seems to indicate that the healing narrative mostly just provides context for the trouble that Jesus is in related to the Sabbath. 
That is to say, the emphasis of the passage is on the argument about Sabbath, not necessarily or so much on the healing itself. And so when we, when we read this, our tendency might just be to so quickly roll our eyes at the religious leaders, right? Uh, we, just, we roll our eyes, we shrug our shoulders, and we say, come on, what is the big deal? Carrying your mat on the Sabbath? It's no, it's no big deal. We might say to them, relax, right? If you were a teenager in the 80s, you might say, take a chill pill. Um, but we won't say that. That's certainly our tendency, but I would encourage us to not be so quick to judge uh, because their motivation was, in fact, to protect the law and to keep their religion pure. And one of the ways that they had done that, uh, and one of the best ways that they knew to do that, was to develop carefully, uh, was to develop carefully articulated rules uh, around Sabbath keeping that would help protect you from work. After all, uh, the scriptures say, honor the Sabbath. The Jewish scriptures say, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. And the only way that they knew how to do that was to come up with really well articulated and detailed rules of how to keep people from work on this special day. And in fact, prohibiting people of the work of picking up and carrying their mat was one of the ways that they had determined they could protect this holy day. And so the fact that Jesus healed the man, and then instruction, instructs him to carry his mat, meant that Jesus was in trouble again. And here we are, all these thousands of years later, and I would argue that maybe some things never change. Jesus is still getting into all kinds of trouble. Jesus is still getting into all kinds of trouble with religious leaders and with his followers. For example, while we isolate and insulate ourselves from others, Jesus tells us, love your neighbor. While we work endless hours trying to make money so that we can afford the bigger house and the nicer car and all of the stuff that makes us feel secure, Jesus says to us, you cannot serve both God and money. While we plot our revenge, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's interesting when Jesus says this command uh, in his original context, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. It was when Christians were literally being um, uh, uh, under oppression from Roman rule where they would often be killed for their faith. I mean, their life was at stake. And then we think, man, if we can't take our Bible to school, we're being oppressed. And so we just need to and so we've really like, come to understand Jesus' call to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you as, as praying for our grouchy neighbors. <laughs> uh, but it's actually so much more than that. And so while we chase after possessions and awards and recognition and all of these kinds of things, Jesus actually says to us, seek first the kingdom of God. While we are, are busy holding grudges, Jesus speaks into our life and he says, forgive just as you have been forgiven. 
And while we run ourselves ragged with responsibility and activity and busyness, Jesus says, you aren't the Lord of the Sabbath. I am. Which is really a way of saying Sabbath is a gift given to you. Not just another thing for you to control with rules and regulations. I say all of those examples just simply as a way of illustrating that Jesus is always getting into trouble with his teaching, right? Jesus is all the time pushing the boundaries of of what is culturally and socially acceptable. And so I want to submit to you today, church, that if we were to really hear Jesus, like if we were to really actually hear Jesus and his teachings, that we would certainly be challenged that our way of life, the status quo, what is just sort of culturally acceptable, would all of a sudden, the boundaries of that would be pushed if we were to really just begin to hear Jesus, take Jesus seriously, tune into his teachings, and begin to say, what if Jesus actually meant what he said? When he said that the best way to live is to forgive just as we have been forgiven that the best way to live is to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That the best way to live is to dare to love our neighbors. Like, what if we were to actually take that seriously? But the problem is, is that we have such a tendency to domesticate Jesus so that he's on our side or the side of people who are just like us. And so we want to domesticate Jesus so that, he is, so that he favors our particular tribe, our particular group, our particular nation, people who are just like us, who are, make the same amount of money as us, have the, speak the same language as us, maybe have the same skin color as us, all of those kinds of things. We, we, we tend to say, we tend to just put Jesus in our corner. But here's the thing. Jesus is has a propensity for getting into trouble. Which means that Jesus refuses to be domesticated. Jesus is not one to be so quickly domesticated or tamed. And it got him in trouble all those thousands of years ago, and it's still getting him in trouble today. I'm reminded of the story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, when Peter, which, by the way, is like the thing in our house right now. Uh, our, our youngest daughter, Autumn, uh, found a shirt that Amy was planning to donate that was the similar blue to what Lucy wears uh, in, the, in the movie. And so she puts on uh, Amy's shirt, on, and on her it looks like a dress. That's her Lucy dress. And then she will uh, get inside of the pantry, close the door, and look, peek her little head out and say, I'm in the wardrobe. <laughs> uh, it's like crazy cute. So, so everything in my, in my brain right now is Narnia. So, so forgive me for another Narnia example. But, but I'm reminded of this story in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy uh, are at the beaver's house and they are just learning about Aslan. And one of the children asks, is he a safe lion? And the beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? But he is good. But he is good. I think a lot of times 
we try really hard to make Jesus safe. We try to make God safe. We try to domesticate him so that he's in our corner and he's just exactly like us and he agrees with everything that we think and so that all of a sudden our perspective becomes God's perspective. But when we read the Gospels and when you read the Apostle Paul and, and you realize all of this commentary that's going on uh, both during the Gospels and the life and ministry of Jesus and then all that follows after that, everything that's going on is, is just pointing to the revolutionary nature of what Jesus is up to. So Jesus certainly is all the time in the gospels getting in trouble. And the same is true today. Well, what happens is that Jesus responds to the trouble that he is in with the religious leaders by saying this. He says, my father is always at work, even to this very day. And so am I. And so am I. Now, I want you to remember that Jesus says this in response to the criticism that he has worked on the Sabbath. Now, isn't it interesting, or did you notice that Jesus doesn't actually do the work? He just instructs the man who he has healed to pick up his mat. Jesus is in trouble for doing the work. When he didn't actually do the work, he was just instructed the man to do the work. Uh, But it's also interesting that Jesus says, my father is always working, Wait a second. Isn't the whole goal, isn't the whole purpose of Sabbath law and all of these things, all of these rules and regulations, all of these carefully articulated regulations and rules around the Sabbath, isn't that in order to honor the rest that God did? Isn't the whole purpose of Sabbath to mirror the rest of God who isn't always working, but who actually takes a rest? And yet, when Jesus is confronted with this by the religious leaders of the day, his response is, my father is always working. Isn't that interesting? And of course, the answer to the question isn't the the whole purpose of Sabbath for mirroring the rest of God. The answer to that question is, of course, yes. I mean, Sabbath rules were put in place to mirror the rest of God from his work of creation. But what we need to realize historically is that ancient Jewish philosophers were actually wrestling with this idea. And what some decided is that God actually didn't stop working after creation. But because they determined if God had, if God hadn't stopped working, then all of creation would suddenly cease to exist. And so what they determined is that What God did is he stopped his work of creation and then immediately began his sustaining work over creation. And so what Jesus does is he picks up on this idea, not as a rejection of Sabbath or the Sabbath rhythm that he calls us to in our life, because again, what we read elsewhere in the Gospels is that Jesus is saying the Sabbath rhythm of life is a gift given to you, and I lord over it. It's not something that you lord over so that you can choke it out with rules, but in fact, Sabbath and the idea of Sabbath and the principle of Sabbath is given to humanity as a way, as a gift, that you might have a rhythm of work and of rest, of work and of play in your life. 
But Jesus picks up on this idea that, that God never stopped working. He didn't stop his work of creation, but he, he did. But then he immediately moves into his sustaining work over creation. Jesus picks up on this idea and he says, my father is always at work. And so am I. And so am I. Remember, if this had happened on any other day, there would be no issue. Of course, there would be uh, lots of whispers about what is Jesus doing with the healing and did you hear about the man who was healed but he didn't even have to get into the pool? I mean, there would have been all sorts of, uh, of talk about what had happened but there wouldn't be so much of an issue. It was only the fact that this happened on the Sabbath and Jesus simply wants to say, my father is always at work and so am I. And what gives us even more power to the whole story is the fact that Jesus calls God his father. And so just as John records, Jesus is in trouble, not just for healing, commanding someone to carry his mat on the Sabbath, but also for saying, God is my father. And so I am like him. What becomes very clear is that Jesus understood that his Work of healing was the same as doing God's work. That his work of healing was, in fact, God's work. Which is why we need a healing story around this conflict with the Sabbath. I said a moment ago that this story isn't so much about the healing itself as much as about the conflict over the Sabbath. But the healing uh, provides something really important to uh, to that conflict. And here it is. As I've already mentioned, the pool of Bethesda was famous for providing healing. For every few hours, the water would boil over or bubble over, and rumor had it that if you were the first to get into the pool at that time, you had a chance of being healed, and so therefore it was always crowded around the pool. And the man in the story had basically lived his life hoping to be the first in the pool when the water started to boil, and to this point he had failed. And even if he had managed at some point to be the first in the pool, there was no guarantee that he would in fact be healed. And so what Jesus does is he steps into the scene and he heals the man without the aid of the miraculous pool. All was needed was his voice. And this is really, really important when you understand all that's going on in this passage, that the only thing needed for Jesus to heal this man was his voice. And the reason it's important is because it is this voice, it is his voice, the voice of Jesus, that in fact brought all of creation about. And so this idea of Sabbath is, is, is a way of recognizing and mirroring the, the creative work of God at creation, where God speaks all of creation into being. But it is, in fact, the word of God, the voice of God, Jesus speaking all of creation into being in the beginning. And so now on this Sabbath day, where God continues to work as he is sustaining over creation, that same voice says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. You see, what the voice that began creation is doing in this moment is entering right into the middle of sin and brokenness and starting a brand new creation, embodying something Brand new, 
where God steps into everything that is broken and messy and not as it should be. And using only his voice brings about something brand new. No need for miraculous pool. No need to be the first one in the water. But rather just the sound of his voice. And in case you just think I'm on a rant and I don't know anything that I'm talking about, which you may think, (laughs) the word translated get up in the Greek throughout the rest of the New Testament is also translated resurrection. And resurrection belongs to new creation. And so Jesus isn't manipulating the rules of the old creation in order to put back something, to put right something that has gone wrong. What Jesus is doing with this word is bringing about something brand new and totally different. He's initiating a whole new thing. And what he, wants the, what he wants the religious leaders of the day to understand is that he is doing God's work. That My father is always at work with his sustaining work over all of creation. And so I wanna, I am, I'm also working, but now I'm working to bring about something brand new. And so my father is always at work even to this very day. And I too am working. You know, for us, Jesus' lifestyle, Jesus' ministry can actually rub against our way of life. (laughs) Which is really why I wanted us to understand that Jesus is still in trouble. If we were to really take Jesus seriously, if we were to really listen to Jesus, we would recognize that he's in trouble. Either he's in trouble or we're in trouble. And how, how, often, it's, how often we're so quick to just get Jesus in trouble or try to do fancy things, of, of fancy interpretive work so that Jesus didn't actually mean what he said. <laughs> But if we really hear and understand Jesus, it can rub against our way of life. And I think in light of that, we have one of three options. We could join our voice with the voice of Jesus' oppressors and say maybe something similar that they would have said to him and say, you know what, Jesus, you can't really teach that. That's not realistic, that's too idealistic, that's a bit removed from the way things are, the way things work around here. I mean, think about how, how many times the, the argument of the Jewish or of the religious leaders to Jesus was this, that's just not how things are done around here. To which Jesus say, is saying, yeah, because I'm trying to start something brand new. And so one option is we could simply join our voice with the voice of Jesus' oppressors. Say, Jesus, you don't know how things work around here. That that you can't teach that. You can't go that far. You can't actually do that. We might say, uh, relax a little bit. uh, Take a chill pill. We might even question him and say, you don't really actually mean those things, do you? That's the first option. The second option is we could, um, we could passively agree with Jesus. 
but not really allow it to sink into our life, into our heart. It would be as though Jesus were to ask us, do you want to be healed? And then we we might respond to Jesus and say, no, I I think I'm okay. Uh, Like, I'm totally fine if you want to, like, go and heal some other folks. Uh, If you want to, like, upset the the culture a little bit. I mean, if you want to go and kind of do that stuff, that's totally fine. Uh, But I'm good. I'm just going to keep hanging out. I'll I'll, I'll agree with you. I'll I'll be, like, supportive even. Maybe, like, from a distance. But, um, But we're good. But I think there's a third option. And to me, I, I think the third option is really begin to realize and ask God to help us recognize that Jesus is on a project of new creation. That's what got him in trouble back then. It's still getting him in trouble today. But his mission hasn't changed. Jesus is still bringing about things that are brand new right out of the mess. And we could recognize that Jesus' new creation project that was launched for all of the world, and then we could say, Jesus is at work, and so am I. People might come to you and say, What in the world are you doing? And I wonder if Jesus is just looking for Christians who would say, Jesus, my father is at work, and so am I. And then the people who are like, I'm going to just, I'm just going to like kind of be okay with Jesus, are like, man, that dude is crazy. Man, I know that I, for my own life, for me, I want to be, I want to be the kind of follower of Jesus that just says, you know what, Jesus is at work, and so am I. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to live with the tension and the push and pull of taking Jesus' teaching seriously and then begin uh, changing my life or making uh, adaptations in whatever I need to so that I can more properly just follow Jesus and walk in his ways knowing that that's where life is found and that's where, that's where new life is found and new creation is found. I can get lost in all the sort of details of all the old way and I could even, I could even try to use all the old pieces to bring about something new but recognize that that's not what Jesus did. Jesus isn't here at the pool of Bethesda and then saying, okay, I'm going to use all the pieces of the old order, the old creation, the old way, and then try to reorder it to make something new. No, Jesus says, resurrect, get up. I'm starting something absolutely brand new because my father's at work and so am I. So here's what I pray for my own life and here's what I pray for you and here's what I pray for us as a community is that we together might come to see the beauty of the kingdom of God that is all around us. Now there's lots of ugliness too and that stuff is easy to see. But I wonder if we could just begin to have a perspective that the scales would fall from our eyes, that we would begin to see the beauty of the kingdom of God and the new creation project that God has initiated and that God is doing even now, even right here in our midst. And that we might not just come to see it, 
But then that we would say, Jesus is at work, and so am I. That we wouldn't just dare to see it, but that we would dare then to join God in the work that he is doing. And that requires something of us. There's a cost to that. And I I can submit to you today that if your following of Jesus does not have a cost associated to it, then there's a pretty good chance we need to look real hard and say, what Jesus am I following? Am I following the Jesus of Scripture? Because there's always a cost. So I encourage us today to begin to see the beauty of the kingdom of God. And then to dare to live in ways that together announce and embody this kingdom.